Greetings. Welcome to Space Court. In this episode, we will learn and explore Vedic astrology, which is also referred to as Jyotish. Space Court, Space Court. In Sanskrit, the word Jyotish, translates as, science of light. It refers to the profound and mathematically sophisticated form of astrology that originates in the ancient Vedic traditions of India. Jyotish describes the planetary configurations at a given moment in time, including that of an individual's birth to discern the potentials and challenges forecasted ahead. Vedic astrology has many applications or branches, ranging from natal chart interpretation to the selection of auspicious times for particular events. It can offer guidance to specific questions asked as well as provide Ayurvedic health guidance, and more. This is part one of a two-part series on Jyotish, or Vedic astrology. We invite you to join us on this voyage of discovery. We would like to introduce you to Vedic astrologer, Seth Cassidy. In Western astrology, Taurus Sun, Aries Moon, Sagittarius Rising. In Vedic astrology, Aries Sun, Pisces Moon, Scorpio Rising. I've been at it for maybe seven, eight years or so, studying on my own, and just, you know, I've done tons and tons and tons of readings, obviously in my infancy of study, just experimenting with friends and family, but I've gradually progressed. At some point I had an Etsy shop and I, I did readings for people all over the world, I guess, and then um, it's just kind of exponentially grown since then, so I've gotten a lot of experience doing pop-ups with her, sitting next to her, doing it like on the fly quickly, which is a whole other realm. And then, um, <clears throat> I don't know, I just I, I put it to the test and like really started studying it. Actually, I'm kind of entering a phase now where I'm trying to like really evidence collect and be my own scientist and like figure out what actually consistently works. So it's like I've kind of turned a chapter. But the, my, my simple point was just that I'll do my best to answer your questions. But if you want information on how charts work and maybe the differences between Vedic and Western, I'm, I'm pretty good at that because I do a lot of both. We would like to introduce you to say. In Western astrology, Cancer Sun, Capricorn Moon, Virgo Rising. In Vedic astrology, Gemini Sun, Sagittarius Moon, Virgo Rising. Okay, so then my first question is, you know how Vedic is off by like 30 degrees? It's like 30 degrees behind? It's about 23. 23? Yeah. So do you find that people like usually resonate with like one or the other, like their Western chart versus their Vedic chart? Or do you find that people resonate with both and they can identify with both? Yeah, this is a question too that I, I'm honestly still researching because it's complex and the debate between tropical and sidereal is a perennial debate. It just goes on and on. And I kind of lean more toward sidereal with when it comes to signs, but I find that the Wh house, Which one does Vedic use and which one does Western use? It depends on the astrologer, but uh. typically um, sidereal, obviously the 23 degree difference we just spoke of will often put planets in different signs 
uh, and houses, uh, mm -hmm. depending on the house system you're using. Mm -hmm. Most Vedic astrologers will use a whole sign system so that the entire sign of, say, Scorpio, let's say Scorpio is rising uh, at 14 degrees, then everything in Scorpio is considered the first house, as opposed to, you yeah. know, subtracting 15 degrees on either side and then yeah. kind of mapping that out to be the first house. Yeah. So. There's differences in house systems, there's differences in how the signs are used. I think the Vedic system just excels more at prediction of external events, mm -hmm. whether that be marriage, kids, money, career, relationship stuff. I, I often see, for example, like when a parent is absent from the lifetime or that kind of thing, or mm -hmm. uh, an early death to a sibling or early death to a parent, like that's obvious in the Vedic chart, mm -hmm. and yet it doesn't it doesn't strike me as so obvious in the Western chart. Mm -hmm. So the Western chart, I often see more, I gather more personality information. Yeah. Uh, I get, you know, the, the aspects grid is like my go-to place when I want to find a person, like find out about a person and how they're wired psychologically. Yeah. I think the lunar nodes work uh, exceptionally well in the Western system. I think you can find out a lot about past life tendencies that we're carrying in and then ultimately the purpose of the lifetime with the North node position. You think more so than with Vedic astrology? Well, the nodes are treated totally differently in the Vedic system. Isn't it like Rahu and Ketu? Correct. Yeah, Rahu, Ketu, and those are, um, they're treated as grahas or planetary beings, or, you know, just, they're basically given full planetary status in the Vedic system, so uh -huh. they're not treated any differently than Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, or anyone else. And uh, they function as malefic influences. So the Vedic system has very different rules of interpretation, and it's a little bit more black and white, cut and dry. You've got good planets, bad planets, good houses, bad houses, that sort of thing. Whereas we don't usually use that terminology in the Western system, because Western system's just kind of more interpretive, I guess. If you ask me if people resonate more with one or the other, I don't know if it's clear cut. This one is definitely my favorite, you know, it, yeah. or, or seems to resonate more. The other thing too is that the sun's, the, the solar based Western system is not the same in the, in the Vedic. It's more of a lunar based system. So they don't give, it's not like, oh, I'm a Aries. They don't, like, we don't oversimplify it and just say, I'm this sun sign. In the in the Western system in India, they'll ask you what's your nakshatra. Yeah, like, I want to ask you about that too. Right. So your lun the lunar mansions, right? Like I those are this. okay. So they lunar divide. Do, 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 <laughs> yeah. This is where we get. We would like to introduce you to Catherine. In Western astrology, Taurus Sun, Libra Moon, Aquarius Rising. In Vedic astrology, Aries Sun, Virgo Moon. Capricorn rising. I've had like several Vedic readings and no one's ever talked to me about this. Yeah, well, in fairness, the nakshatra knowledge has largely been lost uh, to a great degree. Uh, there's a lot of people that are doing research that are trying to dig it back up. And depending on, you know, kind of which your school of Vedic astrology you're studying and so forth, it's not always used. So there are plenty of prominent astrologers that barely even touch the nakshatras. Is there a reason why it got kind of lost over time? So, I mean, from the Hindu cosmology, we are living in the Kali Yuga or have, may have just come out of it and entered the Dwapara Yuga. The Yuga cycle is the correlated with the procession of the equinox. So it's about a 24,000 year cycle and roughly correlated with periods of rise and fall of civilizations, the sort of elevation of consciousness of humanity and then the fall. And um, we are kind of closer to the darkest point in that cycle by most accounts. That being said, most of the ancient knowledge from the Vedic times 
or the times of ancient Egypt or you know, wherever you want to look in the world, that was the golden age when most of this knowledge was clairvoyantly received or downloaded or however you want to phrase it. We, we are living in a time now uh, that that knowledge is pretty fragmented. India was invaded many, many times by the Greeks and everyone else, and so it's just over time, things like that, they disappear. But I do think India is one of the places where a lot of the knowledge has been kept the most alive. I went to Egypt last summer and I went through all the monuments and architecture. Oh, we might have been there at the same time. Oh, really? What, what month? November. Oh, no, I was in the summer. We would like to introduce you to Rachel. In Western astrology, Cancer Sun, Cancer Moon, Gemini Rising. In Vedic astrology, Cancer Sun, Gemini Moon, Taurus rising. I feel it's so everything that you're describing when you're saying it's fragmented, to me, it was a mirror, but like to the below, like to the underworld. Mm. Like when I was in Egypt, I was like, yeah, on the top, I get it, it's gone, yeah. but people, it's not about what's on the surface. Yeah. You know, like Egypt is anchored in like an umbilical cord that goes, when you think of the cosmos and the stars, mm. like imagine that inside the earth. Like we still have the circle as this strange, like tangible shape when really it's the abyss, it's the vortex, you know? The well is deep in Egypt. Um, but, but that being said, well it's very hard to get the knowledge. I mean, the yogic tradition and all the, all the Hindu uh, texts and, and scriptures are very easy to read. I mean, they're, they're in abundance, they're, they're well distributed. So I would probably study Egyptian astrology. Well, many would argue that Vedic astrology is like the source of all astrology, but that may be a bias. I don't know. Yeah, origin I, story still playing out pretty big right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so maybe the Egyptians got it from them. Maybe there was just a giant world civilization at that time, and there was just various types of astrology being practiced all over the world. But I think we're just dealing with uh, an era that's dark and spirit, spiritually speaking, and I think that the the knowledge of the past that came from enlightened civilizations is pretty fragmented. So did you say that we just came out of Kali Yuga? Kali Yuga just ended? There's a lot of debate as to when the Kali Yuga ends. People are trying to redate it and, and according to... Is this like the 2000 millennial 2012 Y2K? No. Is it like the Piscean yeah, like, Age and the, um, the Aquarian Age? Is it kind of... It's a little different. Yeah. The, the periods roughly, so yeah, so the sun processes through the zodiac backwards mm -hmm. according to precession of the equinox. So you can Google the yuga cycle and there are diagrams of how the yuga cycle lines up with those ages. But the yuga cycle is composed of four chapters, basically four seasons, and they are the, the satya yuga, which is the most enlightened age, so you'll see that typically at the top of the circle followed by the Treta Yuga, which is, you know, virtue and, and consciousness are a bit diminished more, and then so far, so on down to the Dwapara Yuga and the Kali Yuga at the base. And that whole thing is a whole other can of worms. You can go into whether it's divided in a 4-3-2-1 ratio, where the Golden Age is the longest period, and then they get progressively smaller down to the Kali Yuga. I don't subscribe to that view. I do believe that they're of equal duration with transitional periods between them. There's a good ar article on Graham Hancock's website with a guy who had recently redated the whole thing according to his interpretation of ancient texts and also in light of new evidence that's come in through um, archaeology and like old civilizations that were much, much older mm -hmm. that have been redated and then evidence for comet impacts and the dissolution of civilizations over time at various periods that would roughly correlate with the transitional periods in the cycle. I think there's very little dispute that we're at least toward the end of the Kali Yuga. We're not like in the beginning of it and it, 
I think you can throw out that idea of the four million year long Kali Yuga or whatever it is. There's these ones that where the number of years got completely exponentially magnified due to some miscalculations. But I think that we're at least somewhere in that vicinity. The article I just referenced says that the end of the Kali Yuga is coming in 2025, if you can get that precise, which would be followed by a 300 year transitional period of dissolution. Roughly, which would then kind of pave the, the way. Wait, we're not already in the era of disillusion? Well, no, <laughs> we are. And that's the call. Okay. The Kali Yuga is, is, is an era of great degeneration uh, and dissolution. Okay. I mean, all yeah, the yeah, previous yeah. structures that were intact and all the knowledge that we just talked about has been lost. Yeah. yeah. Again, this is from the spiritual point of view. I mean, most people that subscribe to a progressive narrative of history believe that we're the sort of par excellence of civilization. We represent the most advanced culture that's ever existed. They're silly though. I agree. That is mainly seen through materialistic lens. I mean, who's to say maybe they had high technology as well in a different sense back then too. Believe that. But, um, but yeah, they, maybe they also just didn't think that it was important to create, you know, uh, cars and atomic bombs and, you know, all yeah, kinds of things. I also things, believe so. that. I believe the fragmentation, which you're describing, right, yeah. the, of the light is actually is what is being connected right now. I imagine a broken mirror with the beams of light, right? Sure, sure. Creating a constellation, sure. the stars. Yeah. So I really like that you seem to have a language with the stars relationship from what I observe of like the historical cultural mm -hmm. bridge. Mm -hmm. As you're describing the Vedic language, that's what's resonating with me is like, oh, mm -hmm. you have the ability to go between those spaces with ease, Yeah, you know? Well, I definitely am really interested in ancient civilizations. I resonate with them. I feel like I'm at home more with the cultures of the past than I am of the present. And so there's a sense of solace, I feel, in, in learning about how they lived and what they prioritized and found most meaningful. In short, they had a center to their world. The divine was at the center and the rest of it revolved around that hub of the wheel. Octopus. Yeah, the, uh, you could put it that way too. The, the body of the octopus. Right, you've got the head, the central, and then all. <laughs> I love it. Always you, comes back to the octopus. Yeah, always comes back to the octopus. I'm learning quickly. Yeah. But, you can uh, also call it the hey, hey That's the Hawaiian term. Sure. Like, this is, yeah. But, you know, God is effectively dead in our world, and I think that that's like Nietzsche predicted in the 1800s. I mean, that's, that was the beginning of the end, you know, and I think once you pull out the center, the rest has less to hold on to. So I think we're kind of in a free fall at this point. And uh, uh, anyway, that's a long, long diversion. But the worldview, I think, helps make sense of sort of what we're dealing with, with knowledge that we have at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a lot. So yeah. this episode's done. Thanks so much for coming. <laughs> <laughs>